We've been talking, last week we start. I felt like we needed to revisit this Revival Family series um, because language is important, and this is really what we are. We're a church, but I believe the Lord's turning us more into more than a church in the sense that we live our life together. In, in the sense, it's not, like most of you guys, you're not, and we. it's crazy. I mean, we have people that live in Shelbyville, Jefferson County, Oldham County, uh, Hardin County, I mean, uh, and, and I'm not even sure where Eastview is, if that's Hardin County or not, but it is, okay. So people live all over the place, and yet we're living life together, we're serving together, and it's, this is becoming, it's not just where we come to church at, this is becoming where we live together in koinonia and biblical fellowship it's almost as if we're really doing what Acts 2.42 through 7 says, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they broke bread together, and they went from house to house. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see that. And I'm convinced that this method of Christianity is what the Lord is asking us to do, and I believe it's what the world is looking for. Okay, it's, it's what the world's looking for. Like, I'm not, I mean, we, we, have, we have neat lights and... And great stage, but it's it's a lot of what we look like was out of necessity because a lot of the stuff was donated and given. Now I think it looks amazing, but but this is like shoestring budget. This is what the Lord give us, and we're going to make it to the best of our ability. And and instead of having just this big flash in the pan type stuff, I'm not interested in big flash in the pan. What I want is the real Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not interested in a show. I want the manifest presence of Jesus to come because that's the only thing, and his presence isn't a thing, that's the only thing that's going to change lives forever. Okay? Because you can come, I mean, most of y'all have been in church most of your life. You've heard thousands of sermons. Sermon's not going to change you. A sermon will provoke you to encounter Jesus, and Jesus will change you, but a sermon's not going to change you. Worship isn't going to change you, but the one you encounter when you begin to worship is what will change you, okay? So we're in this revival family uh, 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 teaching, and I'm just going to get into it. I'm just going to get into it because I'm terrible at introductions. <laughs> Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, so they will be called, and this is what we talked about last week, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Interesting, what Jesus does in your heart, like we get the benefits to go to heaven, we understand that, but we, what he did, we reap the benefits, but what we did is so that he might receive glory through our life. Like you are a walking manifestation of the glory of the Lord. And so when you live your life, it's not like I prayed the prayer, I get to go to heaven. It's like I prayed the prayer, I get to go to heaven, but now I get to shine forth the glory of the Lord in my day-to-day life. All right. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that He might be glorified. 
they will be, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. And, and ruined cities is, is what we believe the Lord's called us to do. The Lord, we need the Lord to move in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. There's no doubt. The word ruined, we told you this last week, but this is review. The word ruined means dry. It means without moisture. It literally translates as they will rebuild the place that's missing the presence of God. So it's like, do we need more legislation or do we need the presence of God in our city? I think we need the presence of God. All right, I'll answer myself. That's cool. They, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> They will raise up the former devastations. They'll repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. All right, so we said last week that, that I believe that we have fallen short of what the Lord has intended for us as believers in Jesus. In that, we stop right here, that, that we receive, I mean, he said, this is Jesus. He, he, it was, Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus, but, G, but now he lives inside of us. And so here's this thing, we, we receive an anointing, we have the presence of the Lord in our lives, and, and we receive the good news, we give our life to Him, we, we, we prayed for healing, for, for broken hearts, right? We, the Lord has touched us at one time or another. Everyone in this room, I believe he's done that. There's some that's been set free of, of generational curses. There's been some that's set free of sin and all these types of things that we have wrestled with. And, and, and then we actually get to the point where we may be able to pray with someone and we see them set free. And then we believe that this is the day that the Lord has made and we'll be real, we will rejoice and be glad in it because every day that he has made is good, right? He's the year of Jubilee, which we get to live in perpetual jubilee now right because he came to give the abundant life john 10 10 and so we we have all these things happen and and he does all these things in our life and then it's like we we follow and we follow and we follow him and if something bad happens and then we we, we follow him for six months something bad happens in our life and then we have to repeat this whole process again and I believe the Lord is wanting to raise up people that don't have to keep repeating the same process. I said like, 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 like years ago, I don't know how many times I asked the Lord, I thought the Lord, you know, I, I asked the Lord to set me free of a nicotine addiction and, and come to the altar and I'd pray and, and I'd say He touched me and then the, the same afternoon just right back into this thing or I'd go six months and fall right back into this thing. And, and what the Lord wants to do is, is, is I believe, <coughs> excuse me, I believe He's wanting us to graduate to where we actually become oaks of righteousness, right? And then we become the planting of the Lord. And planting means we grow our roots down deep enough to where it actually receives the water and the nourishment that it needs. And if we're going to see revival on the earth, it's going to come by way of people getting planted in the Lord. That's what he's doing right now. Now, in the midst of a global pandemic, when everyone is scurrying around and freaking out and scared and all of this stuff, I believe what the Lord is doing, and there's a sifting going on in the body of Christ, and those that are getting planted, the Lord is going to end up raising up and using mightily. Now, don't receive guilt, shame, or condemnation if you're one that's like, I've lived this cycle, I've lived this cycle. I just believe the Lord wants to get it to the point where we don't have to keep going in that cycle. I've got water. Thank you, bub. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. You're a good man. So he wants us to break, break, I guess, oh, cycles of dysfunction. 
cycles of dysfunction. So, so the answer was to get planted. And we talked about oak trees, all that stuff last week, like all the different prophetic pictures of what an oak tree looks like, right? Oak tree, the tallest one, can grow up to like 150 foot tall. I think that's a picture of a city on a hill. Like the, the crown of the oak tree is four to seven times wider than, the, I'm sorry, the crown of the oak tree is such and such wide, but the root system grows four to seven times wider. I think that's a picture of the influence the Lord wants to give the body of Christ, right? That, that the oldest oak tree on the earth is 1,500 years old. That's a in Louisiana, and I think that's a picture of what the Lord does in our life. He wants it to far exceed the span of our lifetime. And so like what the Lord's doing in this room right now, it either dies when we die or it continues on. And we believe the Lord wants generational legacy in the sense that like, I was thinking about this the other day, that, that I know, I know, I know this, that some of the prayers that we've seen are what my grandmother, who's since passed away, has prayed years and years ago. Because 40 years ago, she was praying her entire family get saved. And she was praying prayers not just for her sons, but for her grandchildren and her grandchildren's grandchildren. And so what we're doing, we believe the Lord wants to expand across the generations. Now, we can't think that way. because We, we struggle sometimes thinking that way because we've been taught, and He is coming back soon. Like He said, behold, I'm coming back soon. But because we think that, that He's just going to come tomorrow, we haven't plan like it's going to be longer and so we forfeit what the Lord wants to do and we don't pass things on and I believe the Lord's wanting us to be a people that passes things on we also learned that those oak trees that if they're planted close enough together that the roots will grow into each other and get grafted into one another and I think that is a picture of what it looks like that if I'm discouraged and down Brett picks up the phone and says hey the Lord laid you on my heart today what's going on can I help hold you up it's they make, we make one another stronger, and that's what family does. Okay? And so, so that is, I'm convinced that the Lord is looking for companies of people that get planted. Not looking for this, that, or that, but saying, I, I'm just giving myself to this thing, Lord. Now, so if we get planted, all that to get into this, if we get planted... You'll actually be able to survive the storms of life. Because wind and storms always going to come, right? It always does. And we can be the one that's toppled over by the storm, or we can be the one that's standing strong in the midst of the storm, and when everything is settled, we're still there. My prayer is that we're the ones that's still there no matter what happens in life. And I'm not prophesying that doom and gloom's coming. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. I'm just saying, come hell or high water, I'm going to stand firm and trust that He's going to take care of me. And when the dust settles, maybe someone can look and say, I don't know how they did it. How are you standing? And we could say, if it weren't for the Lord, we would be dead for right now, right? The Lord is looking for people that say, I am going to get planted I'm going to grow myself deep. I'm not going to rush the process, right? And I say rush the process. We learn that, 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 that oak trees, it takes 20 to 30 years for them to even hit maturity. I'll be honest. When I first went into ministry, I was 25 years old. You know what used to drive me, make me madder than anything? When someone says, well, I, 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 when they say, you're so young. It's like, and I would tell them, like, there's, there's some things I can't control. 
my age being one of them. <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. But I get so agitated, but there was something to be said when I hit 30 years old. Yeah. There was something to be said when I hit 35. And I'm not saying it's about how old you are. I'm saying that there really is something to maturity. Okay? And I wanted to grow up much quicker than I... (laughs) I I think I wanted to be an adult much sooner than the Lord wanted me to be an adult. Rather than enjoying what I should have enjoyed during that time. Kids, let that be a lesson too, by the way. (laughs) So, we remain planted... We remain planted, and I'm convinced of this. You can remain planted if you understand how he feels about you. Because when something bad happens, the propensity is to think, he must be mad at me. What if that's not the case? What if it's just we live in a fallen world, right? But what what if he's looking for a people that's not in it just so we can be blessed, but what if he's in it for a people that says, I'm going to shine forth his glory despite what's going on? I think that's what the Lord's looking for. Like, I love his blessings. I love his blessings. But but, But I think American Christianity has sold the gospel short by saying it's all about that. And, and because when things go wrong, oh, he must be mad, or, or I'm, not, I'm not doing this thing anymore, and, and I'm just, whatever. I mean, we've, we've all heard it. We all know people that's went through hard times, and we've went through these seasons of doubt, and we, we walked away from the Lord, or whatever. And I think the Lord is looking for a people that says, I know how he feels about me, and because I know how he feels about me, it will not change how I stay planted. Because he's either good or he's not. He's either kind or he's not. What about God's judgments? God's judgments are aimed at anything that gets in the way of love. It's Mike Bickle. That's what he says. And I, I think he's absolutely right. So, so if it's aimed at anything that gets in love, it's like, well, I think God ad- added some judgment on my life. Well, what did he judge? He probably judged the sin that was in our life that was prohibiting us from walking in communion with him. All right. So look at Isaiah 62. I love Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 is, my Bible has it subtitled, Zion's Glory in a New Name. And, and, I, believe, and I believe like Zion isn't just Israel, it's, it's the body of Christ, all right? So we get into 62, and I'm just going to skip ahead for time's sake to verse 4. It says this, this is what happens when I believe if you can get planted, and if you want to remain planted, we need to make this the revelation of our hearts. I will no, it will no longer be said to you, forsaken. By the way, these are capital letters, forsaken. So it's like a proper noun. That's what the identity is. Forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate. But you, us, will be called, my delight is in her. And your land married... For the Lord delights in you, and to Him your land will be married. It will no longer be said of us that you'll be forsaken. The word forsaken means abandoned, left behind. I'm not talking about weird eschatology that's wrong. I'm talking about it won't be look like when everything that's going on and people can say, well, where is your God? Like He hasn't abandoned us and He has not deserted us. He's actually strengthening us moment by moment by moment. All right. 
Forsaken means deserted. Like It'd be like when, when the glory departed, Ichabod, phew, the glory left the temple. That's what it's saying. Like You won't be called forsaken. You'll actually receive a new name. I believe your new name is this. My delight is in her. Or, or, or the, 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 the actual word is Hephzibah. Your name is Hephzibah. So what's that mean? Is my name Michael? Or is it Hephzibah? And this has been a big word. She prayed this about six weeks ago in her prayer room. I've, I've, my favorite minister, I've like, I keep hearing this word over and over and over again. What if, what if I no longer identified as the things that I've done wrong in my life, but I actually begin to identify as my name is Hephzibah. He says that my delight is in him. Amen. My delight is in her. And, and so, so simplistically, it's like the Lord just delights in you. What, what, what's he call you? Is your name Tatum or is it he delights in you, right? Is your name Tim or is it he delights in Tim? Is it, 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 it's, it's if we could get that revelation that he delights in me. And, and like we say stuff like this, like God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Something bad happens. Oh, maybe he doesn't love me. Now, we may not say that, but we sure act like that. Okay? But he says it's Hephzibah. My delight is in her. What if I told you that the Lord delights in you, not for what you do for Him, performance, but what if He just delights in you because He delights in you? (laughs) What if I told you that the Lord delights in you because He delights in you, not because how well you were a Christian that week. Now, I'm not talking about easy, like, cheap grace. That's not what I'm talking about, although it is easy, and it is pretty cheap, if you want to know the truth, in the sense that, I mean, it cost Him everything, but it really cost us very little, other than to give our life up. What if... Man, I'm just going to be honest, like... like like how many of you? How many of you in January said I'm going to do some sort of Bible reading plan? That you started on January one, and by January fifteenth, you were nowhere close to keeping track. Is is that is that anyone in here? Okay, there's like three of you. The rest of you are either Jesus' second cousin, or <laughs> I'm I, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying. And then, and then it's like, well, I must not be really good because I didn't read for three hours today. I only, read, I only had time because for an hour. Do you think the Lord loves you less because you read for an hour instead of three? Do you think the Lord loves you less one day because you got busy or you overslept and you had to get to work? And by the time you got home, all kinds of problems were going on at home. And before you knew it, you were dog tired and you fell asleep before you had a chance to spend any time with Him? Now, you should want to spend time with the Lord. But what I'm saying is this, is he's not so fickle that he's like, can you believe this? Like the Father looks over the Holy Spirit, right? Can you believe that? That guy, he, did, he didn't read today or he, didn't, he only spent 20 minutes in the Bible today. He, he only spent 15 minutes praying today. I'm mad at him. Like that sounds silly to say that out loud, but that's how we act. And it's because we think, because we Look at the Father based on probably what an earthly father example set for us. 
because we look at him, we think that he's fickle and waiting just to backhand you. And what if he's not like that at all? What if it really is, I delight in them? I know this is hard. I can feel it. <laughs> like, and, and God, God's not a legalist. He's not. And some of us old school holiness folks, and like we're a holiness movement, like, like this is hard sometimes because we think I've got to earn his approval, but what if I have his approval and I live from that position instead of trying to strive to earn it? Okay? So, so look, look at Luke 15. Like his blood really does speak a better word, but look at Luke 15. Familiar story. <laughs> the, the, the parable of the two brothers. Luke 15, I think, is a story of Hephzibah. It's a story of him not being concerned with past guilt and past shame and him not being concerned with performance. Because the younger brother dealt with guilt and shame and the older brother dealt with performance. Did. All right, I'm just going to read it. Or read at least part of it. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So that he divided his wealth between them. By the way, again, we've talked about this many times here, but, but he's basically saying, Pops, I wish you were dead, so can I have my inheritance? I mean, that's essentially what's going on. He's like, forget this, I'm out. And so he says, give me, right, I mean, he, he, so he divided his wealth between them, and, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything and went on a journey into a distant country, and he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine came and occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Why don't you just stop with that word real quick? A lot of us really struggle because we see the word. A lot of us struggle because we start to sin and we start to fall short of the glory of the Lord. And we live an impoverished life because we never feel like we're worthy enough to enter back into His presence. And so we never go all in because we don't feel worthy. And I believe the Lord wants to break off that impoverished mindset. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating that, and no one was giving him anything and no one was giving anything to him. Verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he repented. By the way, when you repent... It means you, cha- you were thinking one way, and now I'm going to think another way. And then he changed his actions because he thought something new. But if you never change, the, if, if, if all you say is, I repent, and you keep doing the same thing, all you did was experience conviction. Okay, and repent means there's actual transformation and change, all right? And so, so verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and he came to his father. And, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. Let's celebrate. Here's what's fascinating to me. Hephzibah. All right, Hephzibah. The Lord will interrupt your guilt and your shame with hugs and kisses. <laughs> right? He got up, came to his father while he was still a long way off. So the father is waiting at the edge of the field. You've heard this preached a million times the whole time you've been a Christian. He was at the edge of the field. He was waiting, looking for anticipation for his son to come home. He wasn't standing there like this. He's standing there like this, waiting. And when he saw him, rather than being like, he needs to come to me because I'm just mad the way he treated me. He lifts up his, his whatever it is that he wore, right? He lifts up his robe and he runs across the field, which no no Middle Eastern man would have done at that time it would have brought him shame to have ran and he ran anyway despite what anyone said he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him Amen. the Lord will interrupt your excuses with those hugs and kisses the passion says this so the father raced out to meet him he swept him up in his arms and he hugged him dearly and he kissed him over and over and over with tender love. The father embraced, which means that it's, it's actually, it's not just a picture of him scooping him up. It's a picture of like the father fell into his son's arms. And if the, if the son would have like went, the father would have fallen over. Like he put all his weight onto him. He embraced him. And he kissed. I think the word kiss, the word kiss, you could translate it as grace and mercy. Maybe this is just me, but how many of you ever did something wrong and you knew you had to go tell someone you were sorry and you rehearsed your story before you went to them, right? You rehearsed the story. John does it all the time. Is that what you said? You rehearsed your story and then you get before that person and you and you release your spiel. Right? This son had rehearsed his story and he goes to give it to him, and the father just embraces him and interrupts the excuses. He says, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Let's throw a party, let's celebrate. Why could he do that? Well, because the son's name was Hephzibah. My, my delight is in him. I'm just going to tell you that you can't get to where the Lord's calling us. We can't get to where the wor- Lord is calling us by way of guilt. That's right. Come on. All right, let, let me tell you, like, uh, they... I could lay it on real thick if people miss church and just guilt trip them and make them feel about that big to where they're here next week. I promise you. 
I think I probably used to, I, I, think, I think, I used to do that. You know what that happen, What happens? You make people feel guilty because they were sick or because they overslept. They're probably not going to come back the next week. Right. And they're probably not going to come back the next three or four weeks. Right. But if they say, oh, pastor, I have this, and you say, it's not a big deal. It's going to be all right. You know what happens? People keep coming back. See, we're not going to get what the Lord is calling us by way of guilt. It's like with our kids, man. Like, I think we, we, we instruct our kids. We do the best we can with our kids. We disciple our kids. But I can't make my son and future daughter have a relationship with Jesus because if I try to make them, it's going to push them away. But if I keep presenting Jesus to them, I believe that they're going to live a life on fire for him. You can't get to where the Lord is calling us either by way of performance. Meaning like you can't, you can't earn your way into heaven. Jesus already did that for you. You get to where the Lord is calling you in your day-to-day life, corporate life, by way of just allowing him to smother you with those hugs and kisses. And as a, as a man, this like, and I feel like I'm, I'm like a lovey-dovey guy. Like this is even, this is hard. Like I feel, I feel the push even when I say it right now. Right. It's his grace and his mercy. It's like, why is the Lord moving here right now? It's not because we're working hard to do it. It's because of his grace and his mercy. Amen. Why do we believe that we're going to see the Lord change a city that, like, the entire planet is looking at right now? Seriously, the entire planet, I mean, all news out, looking at Louisville, Kentucky. I went to a special revival service last night in Lexington. It was amazing. Got to meet one of my heroes in the faith. And it was one of those occasions where I actually met someone and I wasn't disappointed because their character was greater than what I had even thought. But people said, who are you? Where are you from? You know, they was trying to get me to come back to their church type thing. And like, I actually pastor in Louisville. And they're like, oh, well, that stuff's going on. Yes, exactly. What does it make church hard? I don't know. I feel like the Lord's moving. Amen. <laughs> to keep people away? Not right now. We're going to see a city transformed. It's because we start walking in our identity as Hephzibah. That he delights in us. Hephzibah deals with your shame. Let me say this. Like there's, there's, and, and like I'm not going to point anyone out. I'm not going to say, I'm just going to say this. Every person in this room, you've done something at one point in time or another in your life that you feel icky from. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably repented from it like a dozen times. Guess what? By the way, the first time you repented, it took it right then and there. Right. 
it's like the enemy's whispering to you to try to make you feel guilt and shame for that thing. He'll never love you. He'll, he'll never think you're worthy. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're this, that, or the other. And we start to believe those lies. And the Lord's just saying, if you would just listen to me, I'm saying you're half Sabbath. And he deals with performance. So I, I love this, by the way. I, I've been saying he deals with performance. Like, so the older brother, he was mad because the religious spirit always gets offended at, at the religious spirit always gets offended at lavish grace and mercy. Can you believe they're doing? I would never let them do what they're doing because I remember what they were before. They, we, like that's what the religious spirit says. And so, so the Lord, he sneaks this in here in this story. And, and, and so this older brother, he's like, you know, you've thrown this party, you've done this for him, and you've never so much as given me a, a, a fattened calf, right? You, you never so much have done this for me. And, and the father tells him, he's like, but everything I have is yours. And so, so he tells him that. And then in verse 28, it says this, but he was angry. The father was trying to get him to go into the party. And he says, but he was angry and not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Which, by the way, it would have been insulting for the older brother not to be in the party when the father did it, no matter what. It would have been an insult to him. And then it would have been demeaning for the father to leave the party to leave his guest and go outside and would say, would you please come in? And the word plead, it, 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 it's the closest thing that I could come up with or that I found. The word plead to come in means he begged his son to come in. Please come in. Please come in. Please come and celebrate. And the older brother would refuse to do that. And so why would he go out and subject himself to this, to the, to the shame of his oldest son acting like a buffoon? Why would he do that? Because his oldest son was Hephzibah as well. I know you've done everything right. I know you've served in the church for 40 years. I know you've done all the good things. I know you've read your Bible and you prayed and prayed and prayed. And I know you've grown and grown and grown. I know you've done all those things. But that doesn't impress me. What impresses me is that you start to believe what I say about you. And your name is my, my delight is in Him. I think this would free up a lot of believers in the church. If, if I didn't have to hurt, like, like I tell you what, if, if, if I preach good or if I preach bad, it doesn't change the way he feels about me. I want to do a good job because I want to give honor and glory to the Lord. But if I mess up, if I say something stupid or sarcastic when I shouldn't, he doesn't feel any less about me than he did, right? If I make a mistake, if you make a mistake, if you spout off at your kids and you go and repent and ask your kids, like he does not think you're the worst thing that's ever happened on the earth. He still delights in you. It's like, well, is that an easy excuse to sin? I don't, I, I actually think this, that grace is so ridiculous that it actually empowers me to live a holy life. It's not like, like, it's like, well, you're saying he delights in you. Yes, I am. Well, doesn't that make it easy for you to go do a bunch of stuff? No, I think it removes the inclination to want to. 
So many of us, we've tried to do, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And He would just say, just receive who you are and then you'll do all the right things and you won't even think about the wrong things. So many, like, in this, 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 like so many of us have said this, and, and, and maybe not in this room, but I've had all kinds of questions like, can I do this and still get to heaven? Can I do this and still be okay? And that's like the wrong question. The right question is, what do you actually believe what He says about you? Because if you did, this wouldn't even be a concern. His delight's in me. Revival, I think revival is just coming into agreement with what He says. What about seeing people saved, healed, delivered, sanctified, set free, signs, wonders, miracles, a, a whole city change? I think all those things come by way of receiving who, actually believing what he says about me. Right? I'm, 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 I am Hephzibah. I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And now my identity is Hephzibah. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a part of the royal priesthood. Right? I, I'm from the order of Melchizedek just like him. This is who I am right now. I'm no longer relating to who I was when I was an Adam. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm relating to what he says about me. And he says, my name is Hephzibah, right? I'm no longer defined by what I did. If I had struggled with this, that, or the other, that's not who I am anymore. I'm no longer a drunk. I'm no longer an alcoholic. No longer someone who struggled with anger or lust or greed. I am Hephzibah. His delight is in me. Listen, so many of us, we wrestle and we identify ourselves by what we used to do. And if we would begin to agree with what he says, what it will end up doing is you start to see other people the exact same way then it's like it's like it, but if you're always feeling sorry for yourself for the things that you've done in the past and feeling guilty for the things that you've done in the past when someone comes across your path and they will says man i'm just struggling with this and this is who i am you can look at them right square in the eye and say that's not who you are your name is hefsabah his delight is in you i just think that's really good Last point. Hephzibah. If we can realize we're Hephzibah, the Lord will marry our land. And actually the word married means Beulah. <laughs> if we can walk in Hephzibah, the Lord will Beulah our land. It says, in your land will no longer be called desolate, right? Deserted. But it will be married. For the Lord delights in you. Why will my land be married? Because God delights in me. Why will my land be married? Why will Louisville be married to the Lord? Because I understand who I am in Hephzibah. What does it mean if my land becomes married to the Lord? What does it mean if Louisville becomes married to the Lord? What does it mean if this region or this nation becomes married to the Lord? Quite frankly, it's like this. Those that are married, when I got married, everything that I had became hers. And everything she had became mine. And the blessings that the Perkins household had, they legally belonged to her. When the Lord marries our land, the blessings 
of heaven belong to it. But it doesn't happen unless we get this. I was thinking about this this past Wednesday. I knew I was going to share on Hefsa, but to some degree. And April and I were right, I think it was Wednesday or Saturday, I can't remember, we were writing down Gilmore and where they planted all these trees here. They planted those a year ago, but it looks like they're just now taking root. They're taking root and they're starting to get bigger and grow. And like what this road out here used to be kind of dingy and like eh, not so much to look at, it's starting to become beautiful. Is it because the city planted trees or is it because the Lord is beulahing his land? I can tell you right now, Louisville's done its best to divorce the Lord. And you're, we're seeing the manifestations of the divorce right now. But what we're also seeing, I want you to understand this, Romans 8 says that all of creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. What if what if we viewed everything, all the unrest and turmoil, like there needs to be justice. I, I get all, but, but what if we view all the unrest and turmoil, not as unrest and turmoil, but what if we view it as the land is crying out to be married to the Lord? How does it get married to the Lord? Companies of people like this one and all around our city start to realize who we are in Him that he delights in me. And I start to walk in that revelation and then he begins to marry my land and bring forth restoration. Yeah. I tell you this, that to, to, to win a city, I'm not even sure I like that language anymore, I understand what it is, but to win a city, receiving my identity, what he says about me and actually believing it, sure beats working myself to a frenzy. (laughs) Receiving my identity as Hephzibah sure beats. Sure beats following a list of do's and do nots. It sure beats standing on a corner yelling, turn or burn. And there is a heaven and a hell. We understand that. I just think that it's the kindness of God that leads men unto repentance. What if it's like, oh, he delights in you. Like every, if I'd have heard this five years ago, every part in me would have recoiled at that thought. Every religious bone I had in me would have recoiled at that thought. Like I know what I think. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. Now, I think this is just where it's at, man. So this morning, this morning, I just think the Lord just wants to release a grace because I think some of us are going to get this in a moment and I think some of this is going to be over the next few days that this becomes the truth in our life. The Lord's going to release a grace to begin to believe what He feels about you and thinks about you. Thank you. So that 
I want you to understand, by the way, like what he does, the internal work he does in our heart isn't just for us. It's for the world around us. Because we get to shine forth the glory of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 60, right? Arise and shine for your light has come. So let's just pray. Lord, I would pray that today that you would release a supernatural grace. I would pray even in this room, Lord, I know people's walking on fire, they're walking hungry for you. I pray you would release the grace for them just to embrace, the, <laughs> for them to accept the hugs and kisses from you. I would pray, God, in the room that those that have wrestled with a past sin, that they would no longer identify as their past sin, but they would identify as His delight is in me. My name is Hephzibah. Lord, the byproduct is Beulah. You marry the land, you send revival. But I think this morning, you just really want us to focus on that internal work. So I'd pray, God, I would pray, God, for all those struggle no more. Feelings of unworthiness, no more. I pray the excuses that you have rehearsed time and time again. I pray the Lord begins to interrupt you and just says, stop. And you're like, but, 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 stop. We just say no more. Some of us have carried things for 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years in this room. And the Lord says, just stop. Just receive the grace and mercy of the Lord. That's not who you are. Jesus is the mediator between us and the Father. And so when the Father looks at us, He looks at us through the blood-covered lens of Christ Jesus. And He sees us the way that He sees His Son. So no more recoiling. No more shrinking back. I say we just embrace it. For those that are on the wheel or performance, thinking I've got to do this, that, and the other to earn the Lord's approval, actually don't think that's too much of a problem in this congregation. I think we actually probably deal with more of the first one. But I say those that have dealt with the wheel or performance, I say stop off, step off of that wheel today. That wheel's going nowhere. It's just like a hamster wheel. You run and run and you run, and all you really do is just make yourself sweaty and you're not going anywhere. All you do is make yourself tired and you're not going anywhere. It's time to quit trying to earn. It's time to quit trying to present ourselves as Susie Super Christian or Johnny, Johnny Jesus' best friend online, thinking that it earns us His approval. I say just be yourself. Be who He made you to be. But be who He made you to be. The real you. Not the Adam you. But the you that's been crucified with Christ. No more performance. <laughs> I say do a deep work. Wow. Do a deep work in people's hearts right now, God. Do a deep work in people's hearts, Lord.
telling you, when things get hard, you better know He delights in you. When the storm rages all around you, the only way you're going to stand is if you believe He's good. The only way you're going to stand is if you believe that He's kind. The only way you're going to persevere is if you believe what He thinks about you. I promise you. Because if not, you're going to develop some weird theology that you think that He's mad and that He's punishing you for something. And He already poured out all His wrath on Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about if you don't give your life to Him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believers that think He's fickle or capricious. See, give that right view of who you are, Lord. Give that right view of who we are. So, Lord, I thank You for what You've done. We honor You this morning. We bless You this morning. I pray that this word takes deep root. I pray, Lord, that over the upcoming days, God, that as the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, reminds people in this room what they've done before and why they're unworthy, I pray that they recognize the shepherd's voice that says, Hephzibah, my delight's in you. Even hear this, I'm gonna pray this and then we'll close. We'll dismiss. There's some parents in the room that you feel guilty for the way that you raised your kids. I believe the Lord would have you hear that you did the best you could with the revelation that you had at that time. And so when you think that things are happening because it's your fault. I believe the Lord would have you have you know that it's not your fault and the Lord still delights in you. I don't know who that's for, but that's why I'm keeping my eyes closed. So Father, let this be the reality of our life. We love you and we bless you. It's in your name we pray.